Welcome to Houndsy, the Steel Army podcast. I'm Dan Yost, and on this episode, we have an interview. Expanding our horizons a little bit here. This week, I'm proud and happy to be joined by Dennis Chin. Uh, he is a former player, former hound, turned player agent, uh, who is uh, who's worked with a, normal, a number of current and former USL players, including a bunch who, who have been or uh, currently would be with the hounds or have been with the hounds. Uh, for those of you who don't remember Dennis, maybe you're, you're newer to the to uh, to being a hounds fan. Uh, he's probably best known as a Orlando City player. Back when Orlando City was in the USL, uh, he won the 2011 and 2013 USL championships with Orlando City. In 2012, he actually was the league's uh, Golden Boot winner. Uh, And then he bounced around a couple other places after Orlando City moved up to MLS. In 2018, he joined the Hounds, which would be Bob Lilly's first season at the helm here in Pittsburgh. Uh, spent one season here, unfortunately had a, a bit of an injury uh, issue at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the season, so didn't get to see maybe the full impact of, of a Dennis Chin uh, as a hound. But from there, he had one more year down with Richmond, and after that, he transitioned into a post-playing career. And so in this interview, Dennis and I sit down and we talk about him coming to Pittsburgh and his year uh, here in Pittsburgh and his relationship with with Bob both as a player and now that relationship how that has evolved from a head coach slash sporting director that Bob would be to Dennis Chin the player representative um, we also look back and kind of take a bit of a peek behind the curtain of how the the player player representative team club relationship plays out here in the United States lower league soccer what kind of the the give and take between all those all those elements uh, to help teams construct some rosters and then we also take a look at uh, kind of his thoughts on on the USL US soccer we're only a couple years away from the United States and North America hosting a World Cup. And so everyone is kind of gearing up for that in terms of uh, the attention it's going to draw on United States soccer. And then he also gives his thoughts as a, as a play representative in terms of things going on in the league and just other things that maybe you and I don't think of too often when we worry about where a team, where a team is going or where a player is going to sign things like that uh fantastic interview uh hope you enjoy it take a listen with me now is 2018 riverhounds player uh now an agent with his own agency it is dennis chin dennis how you doing man i'm good i'm good dan how are you i i am doing pretty pretty good uh first off thanks for doing this i i really appreciate it i think you have uh Probably a fairly unique insight about how all things lower league soccer go in these days. So yeah, a bit, a bit. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, you made your way to Pittsburgh in uh, 2018, the first year for uh, for Bob here in Pittsburgh. Uh, what was that like? Uh, deciding to come to Pittsburgh. What were kind of the the factors that uh, that brought you here? <laughs> 
Uh, well, <clears throat> the main factor was Bob, really. Um, uh, throughout my time playing, when I was back in the USL, at Orlando City mainly, uh, we played against his teams at Rochester, and he knew me from then, and and uh, the qualities that I possessed, that, and he wanted to, to bring that into the team. Uh, a lot of that was the experience of uh, winning, <laughs> Where, right where uh, I feel like he was used to as well with his, you know, from at the time of Rochester, but obviously in Orlando City when I was there, uh, in the USL days especially, yeah, we were used to that. So that was one of that. That was the main reason um, I was leaving Israel at the time. I was playing in Europe, um, and then uh, something went. <laughs> I was supposed to go back, and it didn't. And then uh, it turned out to be Bob and my agent at that time, who is actually now the GM of, of, of a team in the USL championship. Uh, so everyone's kind of connected. Uh, we're good friends. And um, yeah, that's how I went to Pittsburgh. Nice. So you get you get it for Pittsburgh. How, how was that? Uh, how was that year in Pittsburgh? I uh, know kind of injuries derailed uh, a, a fair portion of it, but uh, yeah. a couple appearances, yeah, I mean, a goal in the Open Cup against Cincy, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in all honesty, it was my the worst year of my career, uh, playing wise. As far as like, I was never injured before, and literally my first day stepping into preseason after all the hype of oh, bringing back and bringing a golden boot guy, and, you know what I mean? All the hype. Just first day of preseason, I had an ankle injury, uh, bad footwear with a turf. My ankle kind of rolled, and I basically spent the the entire first half of the season trying to like come back from that and kind of be like around 50%, 60%. And, and everyone's like, oh, can you play? Can you not play? And I'm just kind of bouncing through that and trying to get healthy. But um, at the end of the day, I, I thought I had, I would honestly say it was the one of the years that taught me the most as a professional, as a man. Uh, I learned a lot about myself as a player, like, you know what I mean? Because one, it's easy when everything's going well, especially in professional sports, is everyone's screaming your name, you're scoring a lot of goals, it's easy. When things are not going well, you're not playing, you might be struggling through injury and people start seeing you as just a, like just another guy, it's a hard thing to take. And um, I, I decided um, with the help of my family and my support system to kind of use that time to say, all right, I can't contribute on the field right now. What else can I do? And and um, and one of the main things I did was try to be a leader to so a lot of the younger guys. You know what I mean? I've always been like a locker room guy, a guy that can make people smile and like. So as the season's going well, and the team was actually doing very well, it's just all right. I'm not there, but can we still win without me? I'm gonna be that guy to you know help a guy like Nico Brent, you know what I mean, to help some of the older guys like continue and 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 go. So from that aspect, I I I really enjoyed it because I never had that, you know what I mean. I've never seen it from that perspective up till that time. Every other team, I I I I usually found a role to play a, a significant role. And um and another thing is I I, I learned to respect. Bob, his style, um, he's a no-nonsense guy. <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to, to get a team together and, and get them all on the same page. And, and that was new to me because I've seen it in all different ways, but he had his own separate way. And at the end of the day, it didn't work out well 
for you know on, on, on a playing side but like Bob and I had like this mutual respect built you know what I mean and and that's taken until now like right now I'm, I'm done playing and we're still close we still have hours of talks <laughs> hours of talk. so like you know what I mean and uh, so that trust and that thing because obviously a lot of guys in my position they said uh, could have you know, taking it a lot differently and poison the locker room and like, oh, how, how am I not playing and stuff like that. I, I had to make a conscious decision not to do that. So I thought that was it was great on that aspect. I thought it was, I feel like it was the, the I, I saw like everything grow around me. The fan base started getting behind the team more, and, you know, ownership was getting more excited. And like, it was, it was a, it was a great, as, off the field it was great. Interesting. And that, no, I, that's super interesting to hear. And I, where I would want to take that then is you with this nice relationship with Bob that, that sticks around to, to today, how much of the Bob we see on the field, you know, the, the lengthy post-game huddles and everything you see during the game, right after the game, how much of that is different from what you see publicly and then what you see in the locker room is he is he basically the same guy the whole time oh yeah <laughs> this is one thing about bob like you, you like you you get to know and everyone around the league knows on every level is that you you what do you see is what you get like he's a very upfront guy he's gonna tell you how it sees he doesn't matter if you're ronaldo or messi or just another college guy he's gonna tell you what he needs from you how you're gonna achieve it best way to achieve it <laughs> and like getting everybody on the same page and um and and that's why his teams are always successful you know what i mean it's just because he has a talent of regardless of how it done is just getting men towards a single goal and that's not easy <laughs> trust me at a pro game there's guys with great personalities and great humor and you know great tactics maybe but a lot of people just can't get people to do what they see fit to win games and you know that's the market of a great coach so do you think that that's a that's a personality driven thing i mean because i mean the tactics and everything obviously he knows what he's, he's doing better than better than most but is it is it a just a man management skill that that he has that um definitely, definitely a skill it, it can't be i don't think i don't think it can be taught this is why i say this you can go to any school and i, I right before i retired i was a player coach at richmond um, in the USL a, a bit and so I've seen the coaching side as well you know what I mean um, my brother is is in PR in MLS uh, I've seen that side uh, at one point my my, my father was uh, was an investor in MLS with Orlando City so I've seen ownership side and my, my wife was in PR was in community relations in MLS so I've seen like community side you know PR blah 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 and like it's very rare to find someone like Bob and I mean that is just he's a leader of men like in a in a different way like it's not as like I guess common because people you can't teach it because he can see things about people that they can't see about himself like he can see a guy and see how how how, how he he's at you know say college at Pittsburgh University of Pittsburgh and see that guy for that and find a role for him in that his team if he has no choice for him and he'll make that guy successful in that role 
You know what I mean? And seeing how, like, you know, knowing how this personality mixes with that personality, this personality, because you have to really know people and see, like, know how they tick to, to get that stuff together. And it's not just tactics. Like, to know when to, to talk for two hours after a game and when to talk for five minutes, based on the level of the team morale, it's, it's not easy. You know what I mean? So, like, obviously he'll make mistakes sometimes, like everyone else does, but... In general, I feel like he has a big, a lot, a big grasp about people than they do about themselves. Like Bob can tell you, you can talk to Bob, he can tell you what happened in a game in 2012 that you like that you played yes. it and you wouldn't remember about himself. Like mm-hmm. the guy is like the guy knows his football. The guy like stinks football all the time. He always he's always his brain's always going about what he can do differently, what he can do better, what he like how he can learn from this. And and like as you see right now in the modern game, there's a lot of young coaches doing well. Because a lot of times the young coaches are doing you can see like in the USL, Alamar Cena, young guy. USL League One. Young guy wanted. Turn the low in MLS. Young guy wanted. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's like there's that there's this fan because a lot of the young guys are very adaptable, right? They used to modern practices. They can you know and they they can adapt to different things. They can change. They can but they're very adaptable. A lot of old guys you know are kind of stuck in their ways. But Bob is like a very a big exception for old guys where he can adapt, and that's why he's been able to like keep it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. For so long. Yeah. So. How does that jive with what with so you're, you know, you're, you're working through an injury. You you make this decision that you need to to be a leader off the field. How does that work with what Bob's trying to do? And then how how are you finding a way to work and and show these young guys this is the right way to do it? I mean, are, are you leaning on off of kind of the resume you have to get that credibility with the people or with the you know, a younger locker room or how does that play into it all? Well, um, it's, it's a lot to do. A lot of that had definitely had to do with the resume because if, if I didn't if I didn't have a golden boot and five titles and all that kind of stuff in that same league, it, it's a, a lot different maybe. But I mean, I don't. I, I just have a very good connection with people. You know what I mean? Like I don't care if I'm talking to someone on the street that doesn't know football or not. I can just connect to people. So I feel like I'm like any locker room I've ever been, whether I'm playing or not playing. I always have the guys together. Like, hey, this is what we're doing. Everyone comes to me. And we're going out, or we're going to eat, or something. That's just that's just that's what makes has made me good at what I do now, right? Is that connection to to players and people in general. So um, it was it wasn't hard for me to do that part as much. It was hard for me to change my mindset about what was going on and like being okay with my limited role. That was the part that's that's very hard for a player because you want to play. Everyone wants to play. You know what I mean? But as far as like that like locker room guy and our leadership guys with the young ones, that was not really that difficult because a guy like like for example on our team, no Frankie, no Frankie uh, was an is an Orlando kid. Like he grew up watching me play. You know what I mean? And yep. that he had a drafted kid. Like you know, so we we have that. We already had that bond. And you know, a lot of that like Mohamed Dabo and guys like that is just guys I took out of my wings, and I still have them out of my wings till this day. You know what I mean? So, and I, I end up helping Nico Nico Brett with a with a deal to move him from Birmingham to New Mexico last year. And I speak to Romeo Parks, and you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just these connections have stayed with me forever. It's just because of that locker room. You know, Hugh Roberts, all those guys. Tommy Vagasil, like still close. 
It was a it was a very unique locker room. I you know what I mean? Very unique locker room. Yeah, and there's I mean a lot of guys from that 2018 team stuck around, stayed around for 2019, which was you know a fantastic year for the for the organization. Was it around this time in your playing career, or, or did it come later? When did you start thinking about making that transition after your playing days are going to be done? Uh, it was de- it was definitely COVID. Um, that COVID time, like it it was a time that I was making some decisions on where I was going to play. I kind of let it go a little bit late because nothing really was like catching my eye of what I want to do. And then COVID happened and then I'm like, oh, I'm definitely not playing <laughs> with what's going on. So I missed that entire like kind of like eight months. And then it comes down to 2021 is happening. And I was already thinking about transition. I was thinking, I was talking to old teammates. A lot of my old teammates or ex-teammates, especially at Orlando City, were already transitioned. James O'Connor, the president of Louisville, I played with for three years. He was, you know, he was my, like, Anthony Pulis, that's a, the, the coach of Miami FC, I played for three years. Mm-hmm. Assistant coach of Atlanta, uh, Atlanta was my teammate for five years. Like, all of those guys have already transitioned. So I was kind of asking them, all right, how was that? Like, what did you do? Like, you know, why why coaching? Or why being a GM? And why front office? And so I already started thinking about that. And um, getting into 2021 and uh, with my now wife, which we were dating for years, we, like, I had options of going overseas to play. And one of the things is that we we're going to start family and everything, and it was just a lot easier to stay in the U.S. But at the time, the options that I had at that time, I didn't think it was like I wanted to stay more closer to Orlando and then I was going to be playing for Orlando City anymore. So it was just a perfect timing. I knew like, hey, like like the timing is now. And now it was to kind of decide like, what is, am I going to go to coaching or going to, you know what I mean? It was that kind of thing, agency work or whatever. So you make that decision. You're, I mean, COVID helps kind of push you along that that pathway. What what's that transition look like in terms of? Obviously, you have connections. You're talking to guys who are now in front offices. They're they're head coaches, or they're working, basically in all aspects of, of of football. What's that transition look like for you in terms of? Okay, this is the skill set I need to acquire. Or these are the the licenses or the background I need to acquire to 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 be successful as a, as an agent. That's a good question. Um, so first of all, I have to like kind of give that a lot of credit to my old agent at the time, it's Mark Kinan. And um, and because he's the one who kind of gave me the uh, the idea in a sense, right? Because he was a very good agent. Um, and like and meeting really as a person, like he like cared about his players. Like he you after a game and I, he knew I had a bad game, he'd call me. You know what I mean? A lot of a lot of people in this space is like contracts. It's just all right, we pop up as soon as a contract negotiation and it's just like a lot of them are lawyers and they're other businessmen and they're not really involved of watching you play or care. And that was just what the example he set. And then I I always had this eye of like I said, connecting to people and seeing where people fit. Like, I just, that was just my, like, like I could see a kid on a street and I said, all right, this kid can't play in the USL, but he can't play in the MLS, and this is the ceiling, and this is not a ceiling, and this is where he should be. That was just always my thing. So I used that kind of to help my agent at the time. I used to be like, hey, you need to sign this guy. <laughs> like, I told him as soon as I saw Nico Red, I was like, you need to sign this guy. <laughs> I think, I think he's underrated, da, 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 da. and they had some talks at the time, but he was already with another agent but like and like we I like that that's just what my gift was 
So coming to, to that period, he was like, hey, like, I will make a spot for you if you'd want. Like, you can join me, da, da, da. And he had already, like, kind of, like, it was, like, a step too late because he already had a partner. And um, and then I would be kind of under them kind of learning ropes. And then I started having these conversations. I was like, all right, I'm finishing up playing. But compared to a lot of players, I've kept a lot of my network close. Like, a lot of people burn bridges, and I've just never been that kind of guy. You know what I mean? I've never been that kind of guy. I've always kept up with people. I've always been everyone's best cheerleader. So when it was that time, uh, I had those connections, which if I didn't, there's no way I could have gone on my own. <laughs> if I didn't have that trust, because at the end of the day, it's all about trust. It, this, when it comes to like, hey, you should sign this guy, it's a lot to do about trust. And then uh, a lot of that's earned. So I had to use the trust through Bob, I remember having a call. Bob was one of the first people I talked to. I said, like, hey, Bob, this is what I'm thinking. I'm gonna have my own thing. And the reason why is because I wanna do it my own way. I wanna, like, you know, I wanna get the players that I wanna work with. I wanna have the final say. I'm gonna bring in the people that I wanna work with. And he was like, yeah, this is what I need. <laughs> Show me you can do this is what I need. You know what I mean? Like, he Start, starts me. working immediately. Yeah, yeah, because he knew what he he because like I said, he knows people, so he knew I had the capabilities of doing it, so he's gonna trust me, right? And then like a few guys trust me, and a lot of people are like, oh, let's see if this guy actually gonna do it, because it's easier said than done. So I had to get obviously like you know licensed through U.S. Soccer, which is not a crazy process. It is like basically you know paying and like background checks to see if you're like a, a crook. <laughs> so and then. Um, and then the hardest part is getting players to trust you, like getting to say, hey, why you? Why, why should I trust you in my career? You know what I mean? And that's, I think, I mean, still the hardest part because a lot of this space is taken up by the big dogs, the Wassermans, the Octagon, you know what I mean? The, the big agencies that like, hey, they're like, oh, who, like, who do you have? Oh, I have Christian Pulisic, all right? <laughs> I'm going to sign with this guy because he has Weston McKinney. It's just, it, it's a lot. So it's, 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 it's a struggle in that sense, that first few months especially, but uh, it's, it's been great. So you're working on, on I'm assuming, you know, you're trying to build a, a client list. And so you start finding guys, I imagine, all over the spectrum from, from guys coming out of college or they're looking on their, for a rookie contract versus the guys who are more established looking for their next contract. What's the difference in maybe attracting those two different types of players? And then also what's the difference in trying to then market them out to teams? Because I'm, I'm assuming with, a, with some of the younger guys, you're trying to sell those guys to, to teams. And then maybe the more established guys, you have the teams coming to you looking, looking to – pitch their offer to, to you yeah. and your client. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, all right, and I'm going to tell you the, the mentality of a player, right? Because I was, you know, I did it for so, over a decade, so I can tell you. When everything is going right for a player, it's the easiest thing, right? Things go, like I said, it's going easy. Like, every team wants you, every team sees you in a team, and if you have an agent, all, like you said, all those calls are coming to you. Bye, 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 bye. Oh, you want, you want, you know, you want Russell Cerrone? All right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. like, he had a great year, right? And that's what happens. When you're hot, you're hot. And then you have guys that have like average seasons that are like higher level player. Their average season, they're like, oof. I'm on the end of a contract year. I just average season, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I want, I don't want to move south. I want to stay north, near my family. And there's all these stipulations. 
and then you have guys that just had an injury or something and they have poor seasons. The guys that have poor seasons are usually the guys that are, are going to try to switch agents or like, you know what I mean, or Mavericks are like, hey, who can help me? You know what I mean? Like, because that's when desperation kicks in. That's when you're like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play again. All right, is anyone going to want me? Blah, 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 blah. So you're trying to find people to connect you in because you don't know. And I kind of, I'm a big guy about loyalty. So like, you can't really steal someone's client. Like, it's just, it's bad. But like, and sometimes though, certain agents and certain players just don't fit. Like they're looking for, you know, obviously a different relationship. Like some guys, you can just call them and tell them one thing and they don't even bother you. And you don't hear from them. You sign them, send them a contract. Like, is this okay with you? Is this what you want? Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, boom, boom. They're very easy. Most guys are not that easy. They're like, call you every day. Like, hey, like, what's he saying? What's any news for me? And a lot of agents are just poor with that, right? They're not very great communicators. If they don't have, you don't even hear from them if they don't have news or if they have bad news because they don't, they just want to, they don't want to have the conversation. They don't want to have the hard conversations. But little they know is that players hate that. As much as they, you, they, you know, as much as it hurts to hear, like, Indy 11 doesn't want you, we want to hear that, like, as a player. Well, it has to be that, you know, no communication is going to be worse than hearing bad news. Cause exactly. The, cause as long exactly. as you, at least with communication, you know where you stand as opposed to being left in the, in the wild. Exactly. So, like, so it, 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 it's, it's just a, it's just human characteristics. A lot of people just don't have that. Like, they just, and they probably, they, a lot of people are just busy working on it for them. You know what I mean? And they're just going to tell you when there's actually certain news to tell. But um, it just doesn't really work well. And once guys started feeling that, like, not hearing anything, that's when they kind of go off. And then some guys just don't want to work with just one agent. They just said, hey, listen, I'm not assigned to anyone. I'm going to go with a guy that gives me the best deal. I usually try to stay away from that because then you have guys, three guys promoting the same guy to a team and a team is the worst thing for a team. Team is going to look at it like, hey, I'm not even going to touch that guy because <laughs> I don't even know who to talk to here. You know what I mean? So, so that's a big thing. So um, when it comes to veterans, I've had a lot of success in guys that are just underappreciated or undervalued. And they're looking for a change. They're looking for a change of scenery. They're looking, you know what I mean? They they're looking for, for example, for I I I was I, I kind of, and <clears throat> my partner is in Switzerland, and he's an ex teammate of mine, right? We played together in Orlando. We played together at Ottawa. Like <clears throat> he's a younger guy, and he's just he because he played in the USL. He played in MLS. Uh, Giuseppe Gentile, and um and he has that same like he's ex-player as well so he's in Europe and I'm over here and a lot of European guys are looking at like the US it's like all right everyone is talking about these leagues are growing I just need a step in sometimes and that's why I could get a guy like Emmanuel Sanope that was an England U18 international Tottenham player you know Champions League speed blah blah to come to the USL because he just wants to like hey I'm gonna come into the step in the market maybe MLS is you know you know I didn't have the best season Come in here, boom, take a step, and maybe go up, or maybe I love it, and maybe I stay and be a career guy here. And then I can always go back to Europe. And uh, so that's where we've been the most successful is people that want to change the studio where they have the talent and people kind of sleeping on it. When it comes to the younger guys, though, we have not, we decided our first year to not really go into the college scene 
because there's just so many teams, so many games, so many good players. It's just it's very hard to really find out. And then like we have to watch a player enough that we know that hey, this guy is pro level first because our names, our reputations on the line, and we have to sell them, right? We have to go to hey and say hey, you need to sign this guy because A B C. And um, I, in the first year, we didn't really do a lot of that. We try to stick to youth internationals. So if we're going to bring young guys in, we were bringing in a lot of like youth internationals, mainly from the Caribbean, because I'm Jamaican. And I had those connections in Haiti and Jamaica from playing with uh, guys that were playing senior team there that say, hey, like, you need to look at this guy. You need to. They were giving me things, and those boys just didn't have any support. So, so that was our focus, because you have to have a niche. And I could not compete with. Wasserman and those guys to get those USU 16 and 17 boys <laughs> like you know what I mean all those boys are gone like you, you know they're gone from 15 as soon as they hit that first national team camp so and I couldn't compete with the guys that are going to go number one or top top five or top ten in the, in the draft because they were already souping them up uh, at that point but now this year we can but like at that point we couldn't so it's just we just had to find a strategy and then try to find the best way and the best way we thought is to focus on small niches and one niche being uh, guys that were underrepresented and under or slept on that are from Europe and you know and the USL maybe that you know that you we knew really well and I played with and he played with and then also on a youth national team front where you have that youth national team aura like you know you're a, you're a national team player and you can go and people are gonna trust that you have the talent to, to be able to adapt to the level so those that was the strategy I, we kind of had. Yeah, as you you mentioned there, the the kind of the pathways between the Caribbean nations and the North America, well, actually, yeah, let's just say North America, those have been open for for quite some time. Uh, especially, I, I think back to some of those earlier USL uh, days. I mean, so many of those teams were were just uh, uh, peppered with uh, with Caribbean guys. Do you do you see the same type of pathway opening up with with the European markets, or is it is it um, is that not quite there yet? Yeah, I think more so this past year, especially, and it's gonna you'll see it now as you see some of the signings in like all over the league right now. You're seeing seeing a lot of those guys. Uh, I think they, it's shown that certain European markets do well in MLS and USL. You know what I mean? I, when it comes to when it comes to the transitional play in the North America right now, the physicality and certain, you know what I mean? Like there's certain leagues and certain player styles that, that fit. And when players become underappreciated in those leagues and the growth of the game, like you said, the CBA and everything is like, you can make a good living and you can live in a good country where your paychecks is going to be on time. A lot, it becomes a lot more lucrative to the Europeans. And I, I'm telling you right now, we have, some top European players trying to come and play in the US. Some top ones. I have some top ones as well. So I can like imagine like that. And you can see the ones that are signing with some incredible CVs that maybe five years ago would never even dream. They wouldn't even talk about coming to, to America. So it's it's very it's a very very big transition. The other thing that's going on now in the United States is this explosion of, of lower leagues. Uh, I mean, we're looking at now, um, obviously MLS top tier, but now you're looking at USL with two different divisions, MLS Next Pro and NISA. Where do you see certain guys gravitating to certain certain leagues? Or is that just a kind of a free-for-all? They get over here and you just find a, a team that fits to it, 
fits for you? Is it a league fit? Is it a team fit? And does that maybe change as a player develops? Uh, even maybe they, they reach your ceiling and their ceiling is not top division, but they 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 kind of fit somewhere as a as a second division player, a third division player. Does does the league itself make a big difference, or is it more team to team? That's a good question. I think it's both league and team to team, because in the U.S. without pro rel, the uh, league differences is not that. Major, especially in USL, League One and Championship, as far as league difference. Like USL does a good job of like, you know, you know, making sure both leagues are run pretty properly. Um, it's just really about budget, and um, and you have teams in, cha- in USL League One now that, are, that have championship budgets. So you, that's why you saw certain USL Championship players that had a great twenty twenty one season play down it for twenty twenty two in the USL League One. Um, that's divisionally down because they could easily play. Be at a, they're easily a championship level player. I think right now it's been great to see guys that are in USL one compete and do the same thing in USL championship. For example, Malloy at Memphis that was he was an all league. He was all league first team in USL one. 2021 and only first team in championship in 2022 and he's not like a physical beast of athletics is, you know what I mean it's just it just depends on where you get put if you get put in a, in a for example a, a very similar system in, in legal and for example Tormenta plays a certain style and it might match up to El Paso so a player from Tormenta will fit into El Paso pretty seamlessly you know what I mean? So it's just about budget now because El Paso has a way bigger budget than El Tormenta and then they can kind of transfer that player, blah, blah, blah. I think in the past, I, I wouldn't say to to go league, you know, to transfer down, to go up. But now I think that pathway is actually there. You know what I mean? That pathway is actually, especially USL League One, I feel like that league right now is the superior league, third division compared to all of the other third divisions by far. I think MLS next has that potential because of MLS backings, but it's, it's still going to be where you stash a lot of the young guys for MLS so you, and you don't have the fan bases that you're going to see in standalone teams in the USL. Um, I think Nisa is just Mavericks. I just don't know what's going to happen in that league, but there's teams like Chattanooga FC and Cal, you know what I mean? There's a few teams there that could compete easily in USL because they have the right budget, the right ownerships. You know what I mean. So if you do good at those teams, you you can transition to the championship from Nisa. You know what I mean. But if you're at Flower City Union or someone that's more new and no one really knows, that's you're pretty much stuck there. You know what I mean. Like so, if I'm because right now Nisa is not even allowed to get foreign players. I don't know if you know that they can't. They don't have internationals. They don't have any international. You need to have a residency or, or a citizenship to play unless they find some kind of loophole through your college. Wasn't that, uh, was that the issue with one of the California teams? Exactly. Yeah, it was actually the Arizona team. Okay. The Arizona Valley FC or something like that. And it was like this big issue. So so that makes the level of that league a lot lower because you can't, they, you know, you just competing with local talent and you're losing a lot of that to USL League One and MLS Next Pro now and USL Championship and, and MLS. So that, that the standard league is a little bit lower. But I, I do think that you can, as an international, it's it's just about what you see as your division. You know what I mean? Like, for you, if you come in, as long as you come in and kill it, no one cares. <laughs> but if you falter in a lower division, you're pretty much stuck there. 
So that's why it's risky. That's why you try to start at a higher division as possible. You falter the MLS, you drop it in the championship. You falter the championship, you drop it in the League One. If you falter League One, you're, you're going home. You know what I mean? You don't know. So that's the tough part. Do you see it coming? Because I've heard this this concern or fear. I don't know if it's, it's real or imaginary that MLS teams are going to be taking preference of trying to find guys in the MLS Next Pro system because it's all internal and they'd rather, uh, even if they're on a Next Pro contract and not a not a first division contract, they'd rather be trying to pluck from there as opposed to USL contracts. Do you see that being a, a, like a long-term thing that it might persuade guys to go the Next Pro route just because it might be a cleaner path to, to MLS? Honestly, I think that's what they want you to believe. I think I think they want you to believe that because it just helps their league get better players. Um, um, as someone, we have a player in every single league, league right now. Uh, these uh, MLS Next Pro, MLS, you know what I mean? We, I, you know, USL one, and I can tell you that if a guy's balling out in USL League One and it's USL League One and a guy's balling on MLS Next Pro and MLS team is like this guy's MLS level, they're getting them. It doesn't really matter what, you know, what league. If they want to make a challenge like, and we can see it. There's for example, even in championship, Diego Luna, for example. You know what I mean? Like he got mid season to Real Salt Lake. You can see BC Naglina that was at Colorado switchbacks went on loan to LFC in twenty twenty one. Right? You know, a lot of a lot of those teams are gonna look for just the best talent available. And if you're a domestic beat, you're not even using an international spot. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, right? So yes, you have an you might have an advantage at MLS Next Pro for that MLS Next Club. I mean, for at that MLS club because you're in that system. They're seeing you every day. You're trading with the first team sometimes. They can call you up at any point. But that's just that club. Like I said, if you do good, it doesn't really matter. You know, it really doesn't matter. You saw a kid, kids do good at one MLS Next Pro club and get bought and get transferred to another MLS club. You know what I mean? So it, you just have to play well. It, it really comes down to, come down to that. You were talking before that uh, you're seeing a lot of players actually jumping down from USL Championship to League One. A better player just because they – might have had a better fit in, in a League One team or you're thinking that the difference itself is, is right now just budgetary and not necessarily quality or, or, you know, obviously team to team. Do you foresee a point? I'm not trying to tiptoe into the, this, like, little USL intra-pro-rel thing, but do you see a, a, a day where the quality between those two leagues are fairly close, that, that teams are almost interchangeable? It's a tough, it's a tough one. Really, the reality is, is very tough. I think USL as a league and as an organization is pushing that, pushing it. Because they, the, if they have even USL League One teams with that kind of caliber, it just, you know, it's amazing. But I think realistically, some of the top championship teams are, are levels. Like as far as or infrastructure, like budget, like compared to even a top USL one team, it's a very hard, and that's just gaps gonna widen if things continue to go that way. If, if for example, if Louisville can, continues to invest and and bring in good players and moving on, on Josh Winders, and you know what I mean, and starting to be the international transfer market, and like how is you know how is Omaha gonna compete that with that? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. It's just it's the gap will continue to rise. I feel like as 
MLS gap wise and MLS is gap is gonna widen too because that league is pulling away from USL as far as in every budgetary standard infrastructure like I said Louisville can compete with a lot of that and you know a lot, a lot of other teams down in USL and that's why USL is really big on expansion uh, in the right way with stadiums and facilities because you know you have to you know, uh, it, it, it takes it makes a lot for the value of the league and the value of each club but like with uh, that Apple TV deal now with MLS and that like it's it's big bucks like, big big bucks it's, it's big but like you got 5 million 10 million transfers like that now in in in, 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 uh, in MLS and you you're not seeing any USL team dropping even 400k in a player 300k in a player you know what I mean? So if you have that discrepancy between, that's, that's that's just a gap. That's a really good way to look at, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like a, the, the, how a league is kind of pulling away. It's just, like, how much are they willing to invest in players? Because that's one of the, you know, your, your most valuable assets. That's what that's what the people come to see. That's what, you know, fills the stadium. That's what's going to get you that TV rights is what's on the field. So... I think I think USL is doing a great job of competing for the young talents, like you know what I mean. Especially American young talents like coming out of college and stuff. What we look like, look at it like, hey, this MLS team. They, they I know I'm not going to play in MLS my first year, but I can play in a championship, and if I kill it, I can go. I can go to any MLS team. Like USL doing a good job, and now they're transferring guys to Europe. I trust the USL when it comes to that, but like as far as like being able to compete, like for bringing players in, buying players, like, no, not even close. And I feel like that's going to, that gap will widen as well between USL League One and the top championship teams because I feel like as the money starts increasing those markets, they're going to start being able to get better and better talents in, you know what I mean? Without a salary cap, you got to remember, we have no salary caps down here without the salary caps. If you're you're playing a League Two or uh, English Championship player, 200k a year to come play for Birmingham Legion it's a lot you know that kid guy, guy could run through the league and you couldn't even stop him maybe you know what I mean if it's the right player at the right time it becomes like a Roy Keane kind of effect you know what I mean as Latin kind of effect on the league and you're going to pull away that's just how I see it we're uh, USL's now they're one year into a CBA for the championship they're starting the CBA for, for League One uh, obviously, early days on this, but so far, what's working with that CBA? What's not working with that CBA? Um, you know, are, are these CBAs going to influence where guys look to go? Uh, it's a tough one. I think overall, it's brilliant. It's brilliant if you're a good player, <laughs> right? If you're a decent player, you're like, like you know what I mean. If especially if you're a decent long young younger player, it's amazing because now you have this minimum like no no one can really take advantage of you you know what i mean they can't like you know for an opportunity you're like oh you gotta get this you know amount of money for this opportunity because that's what you need to get to play for this team but in an aspect for uh, smaller budget clubs and pretty much any club it shrinks the rosters because like if your budget's not like if all of a sudden cb happens and your budget's one million a year every year, like for the past three years that you planned out, it just means you have to get less players next year. <laughs> you know, you can't, that just doesn't, the CBA doesn't automatically just change that. 
So if you had 25 players last year, you might have to have 20, 20 players or 21. So you have to be more creative now and like players that can play multiple positions. You're going to make sure that these guys are less injury prone and blah, blah, blah. That means less spots for those bottom players. So as much as it can help the average to bottom player, it can also hurt with opportunities because now we're like, for example, a young guy that like, He's like, I don't see him actually playing this year. This is like a next year guy. You might not take a chance on him because you can't pay him like nothing anymore. <laughs> you have to actually pay him a decent wage. So I think yeah, it's, a, it's a dual edge, but at the end of the day, it needs to happen. You, know, you, you have to, it has to happen. I just think right now it's going to be sloppy because there's going to be some guys left out, you know what I mean, in the market that because of it. But when it becomes a lot more normal, like right now in the championship, it's something you know we're in the, the second or so year of that. Like it's it's not really a big deal in the championship. All the clubs know how it goes right now. It's like it's gonna be the same thing in the league one next year as we get forward. It's gonna be no one's gonna think about it. I, I feel like I know where this answer is gonna go because you you just kind of hinted at it on, in the last question. But uh, here in Pittsburgh, they just opened this uh, this really big train facility. Uh, on the outskirts of, of the city, uh, huge indoor field. Uh, it's going to have a bunch of outdoor fields, weight rooms, all that kind of, it's, you know, it's nice. We're all talking and assuming that this carries a lot of, of weight in terms of uh, attracting players and, and things like that. From your experience, how much of an influence or a design factor is facilities and amenities and, and things along those lines when when guys are looking where to sign? I think it's big. <laughs> I actually used it to, to try to talk a, talk a player to think about Pittsburgh. To, this, this window. <laughs> I was like, hey, they just built this nice facility out there. Like, you know, because <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it makes a big difference. I feel like when you have, when a player knows that he's going to be comfortable in training and he has this, you know, all this support and he's off the field stuff. Like it, it helps, it helps a lot with like playing well week to week. It, it, it makes a big difference. And if I'm being very honest. So I remember in teams where we had, we were like, Oh, you know what I mean? We're, we're, what's the say, you know, our, our fields are, you know, get a redone or something. We have to go to the other place. It just brings chaos. If you have a place for home and this is where we go in the locker room and this is where we banter before practice and we come back in and we, you know what I mean, blah, blah, we do our work and we can lift and we can, you know, it makes a huge difference. And for players coming into the, making decisions, that could be the factor. That's a lot of times a factor. Like when it comes to its facilities, like it comes like all right, monetarily and team like position as far as like oh how I fit like where's this team like is this team a playoff team or not or this team is gonna be a, buying for a championship or not that's gonna be first and then like monetary wise like where's the you know you're gonna be around those budgets for each team you're looking at and then it goes down to facilities and like support system and like weather all that kind of stuff and right now obviously you're not in the perfect place for weather like no, no. So, so having that indoor facility at the beginning of the season the preseason what we didn't have in 2018 and that was I mean me playing on the, that facility now that you built could have changed my entire season trajectory of my season because I may have not slipped on the icy field and, and you know what I mean it caused that damage it, it, that's the difference so players look at that for sure. It's very, it's a very big advantage. That's an interesting 
the, kind of like the hierarchy you put there. So you're, you're putting uh, plain fit in potential, you know, title winning success. You saying for a lot of guys that that might go ahead of uh, monetary thoughts for some guys. Yeah, because you that was remember, not where I thought that would go. No, it's because of you got to remember this. Like a lot of guys that are coming to the USL have this ambition that their final stop is not the USL, right? Right, like especially below the age of 25, which is going to be at least half the league. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that, money is not the biggest difference right now. Like they're thinking like if I invest myself and I put myself in a team that's winning and I'm playing, my chances of moving up and moving to Europe or move to MLS is going to be that much higher. You know what I mean? So, and like you got to remember, if you're deciding between teams, there's not going to be this huge discrepancy monetarily. <laughs> it might come down to like a thousand, like maximum an extra one or two thousand a month, like which is like yeah, this you know ten months, twelve months is could be significant. It's, but, it's not nothing. But yeah, yeah, it's nothing when you think about your scheme of your career. Like if you invest in the right team, like if you were on, for example, Charleston Battery last year when they were going through a bad stretch of losing every day, blah 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 blah. Who's going out to say, you know what, I'm going to get a Charleston Battery player? Because like, you know what I mean? Like no one's looking at that, and players know that. Like, that's why players want to win so bad, because uh, they know that if you're on winning teams, success happens for everybody, even if you're on a bench. Like it does not matter, and like. I, I know from experience, when I was at Orlando City and we were winning every game, everybody around the league wanted to be on our team. They would take twice, like half of the money sometimes to be on our team, to, to lift that title, to be around the, those, the fans that are all about you and blah, 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 blah. Like winning changes things and losing changes things just as much. Like a lot. Like it changes personalities, it changes, like you see black clouds around a locker room when you start losing like <laughs> it, it really changes a lot so i that it has to be first winning has to be first at the pro level um but when you get older you'll start and a guy starts having a family and you know what i mean starts thinking those those extra dollars are gonna make a difference because then you kind of say like all right what am i giving up i can go to a team that's gonna finish the bottom and i'm gonna make 40,000 more, and I have daycare, and child care, and I, like, you're gonna do, go for that, because at the end of the day, like, you know, your quality as a player, you're supposed to stand out anyways, and you have a CV behind you, right? Like, if, if that ship starts sinking, they're like, oh, well, remember when he was at Pittsburgh, or when he was at Louisville, like, he was really good, like, he can still stay. But if you're a bottom team and like you stop playing and like that might be the one time you don't get like next time you might not get that paycheck. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a it's a lot of things to consider when it comes to that. Yeah, it's like, silly me. I'm think I was thinking just, just the money first, first and always. But I think that's a, a fair of, point, though. A lot of fan bases. Like you see the Ronaldo's thing right now, right? Yeah. A lot of fan bases they're looking at they start like, oh well, everything's about money. You see all because you always hear about the money because, as a team, it's in the best interest of the culture to tell people that money is like like bad, like you know what I mean? Like oh my god, this guy's going for the money again. Like it's kind of like, but at the end of the day, it's 
someone has to get that money. (laughs) Like, you know, if there's a budget, there's someone has to get that money, right? And then that's a lot of players, like, you got better be me than this guy or that guy. But also, also when it comes to that, that the monetary aspect is that when, 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 when you, when you really look at it, like, you have a very finite time to play any sport. So, a lot of players trying to once they have a legacy, they they'll maximize money, right? It just makes sense. Like you want, I've won a Super Bowl. I might as well get paid because you know what I mean. Blah blah blah. Or I won the Super Bowl, but I I know I'm better than this legend. I need to win more Super Bowl because I need a Hall of Fame. Then it changes. Like you know what I mean. Like it just depends on what your motivations are. And but most people once they have a CV behind their back, they're gonna they're gonna say, all right, who's gonna give me what I'm worth? Or who's gonna give me more than what I'm worth, and that's gonna be that process. But it's very, like I said, it's a very small group of the people at the top. You know what I mean? Like, if you score 20 goals a season, then yes, <laughs> that that's gonna be one of your your things. But if you're like a, a player that's coming up and coming through, and you go to Saudi Arabia now at 19, like, go on. <laughs> a lot of guys are getting those money thrown at them, but they're not gonna go. You know, so like you know, it just it just gets to show you if you really think about it in soccer, especially. Um, Harry Kane could go to China right now, or Saudi Arabia, and they could pay him crazy amount that he was gonna get at Tottenham, right? But would he do it? No, because he wants to be the top level. He wants to win championship. He wants to do stuff he's not done yet for his legacy. And most players are thinking legacy and pride and more than just monetary. Interesting. That, no, that's that's the part. That, wow. God. Yeah. Or maybe that's just an insight to my uh, where I'm at, which is probably not the best thing either. But uh, we're three and a half years away from a World Cup here in the North America, mostly in the United States. What do you see the future of soccer, MLS all the way down to grassroots, uh, lean into the World Cup and then and then coming out of it? I mean, what what's the potential for growth? Is it because every, um, everyone is talking about 2020? You know, especially USL is talking about having all these things in place in time for 2026. The Apple TV contract, uh, you know, everyone's trying to have everything in like their ducks in a row for 2026. Is is it as big of a deal as we're all thinking it's going to be? And then what's the growth coming into it and out of it? It's definitely a big deal. It's as big as I think we're all saying it's going to be. It, everyone's talking about it. I'm talking about, like, I'm telling you, a lot of our recruitment pitches to a lot of these guys in Europe to say, hey, listen, like, you fit this profile of a guy that will do well here in MLS or whatever, is based on that World Cup. Saying, hey, everyone knows that when there's a World Cup looming, investments, things people investing in, 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 in what it takes to, in that country to, for the infrastructure, everything, everything gets built up. And they quicker you get in and the more established you are, the more you benefit. That means for investors that are, you know, coming in and, you know what I mean, American investors, a lot of American investors are invested in European clubs, obviously, but a lot of vice versa, they're still now invested in American clubs. and blah. But that investment wouldn't happen without, like, the World Cup looming. Like, so when it comes to players as well, they want to, they know that, hey, the World Cup's coming, they already signed this Apple TV deal, guys are coming from MLS to Arsenal and this and then guys that go from USL to to Real Sociedad and blah blah blah. I'm like the lifestyle is good. Everybody knows America is great at marketing and this and that. Like 
yeah, I need to go in now. You know what I mean? Because if I don't get it now, then I can't reap that benefit when the time comes. It's going to be impossible, you know, to get it. So a lot of people are, are really taking that gamble in both, you know, player-wise, coaches. I've, I've heard, you know, many coaches have reached out to me and like, hey, like, I'll start a USL League one if I have to. <laughs> and they're coming from top European clubs. Like, they just want to come in now, get into the system, ride that the growth of the leagues. They see expansions happening every single year. They can be the, the head of their small, like, you know, community. And, you know what I mean? And they have the experience in that. I just, it's just, no one knows exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going it, to, it always, in every country that a World Cup happens, it always, there's always a boom. So, you know, how long that boom will last? Will it take MLS to a, a top 10 league, you know, if it's not already? Uh, will it take the USL now to the, one of the best second tier leagues in the world other than the, the English Championship? Will it take, you know, everything up with it? Who knows? We'll see. But it, sh it, should, it should be a huge improvement from what we have now. Nice. Uh, let me get you out on, on this one uh, just because you, you brought up now. And it's, it's a thing I think a lot of people talk about. USL Championship right now, if you had to slot that league into the English pyramid, where, where does it fall? <laughs> That is a super tough one. <laughs> yes, because everyone has wild guesses and, and speculation. But you, you, you know. All right. uh, let me let me let me put it like right, for back in the past, like if you say even two years ago, I say like it goes Prem, obviously Championship, MLS, League One. You know, you know, as far as English League One, English yeah. League Two. You know what I mean? USL Championship, USL League One, like kind of thing. But now, these, this past year and a half, especially when you see Insigne and the amount of Shakiri and the amount of money they're spending, I feel like you're like, uh, like obviously, championship has more, like MLS and championship are like, English championship are like this, like to each other. Like it's like, you know what I mean? It's like team by team now, you know what I mean? Like as far as everything where, where it used to be, the gap was like, Pretty amazing because the championship is considered better than a lot of first-tier European teams, uh, leagues around the entire continent. Of, you know, so but now I, I would say I would say still the Prem. I stay the championship a little bit with the MLS intertwined a little bit in there with the championship being on top because the top teams are just so much. The bunch is crazy. The championship, uh, I, and then so championship MLS. I will have to say League One and ML and, and Championship now are intertwined just like the the English Championship and MLS. Before it was League One for sure, and even maybe even League Two, uh, because of the budgets. Like it's just budgets. Like you you have certain guys, but now I feel like the Championship and League. I think the Championship starting to kind of edge off League One, uh, English League One, because now. I'm telling you, guys in league, the guys in USL Championship are turning down League One <laughs> players and stuff like that to come in because they just like don't think the level is the same in in a lot. But as far as investment, like Championship, like I said, USL needs to have the money to be able to pay for purchase players. And right now, League One teams, that especially top teams that want to promote the Championship, are doing that. They can pay a 500k transfer. They can pay, 
You know what I mean? A $750,000 transfer. You are not. In no way, Bob's trying to buy, buy anyone. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you have to give that league one an edge. You know what I mean? You have to. Like, what's you, like I said, the transfer, being able to say, hey, I want that guy. I'm going to get him no matter what. Has to show quality of you know league because you if you if you didn't have that quality you wouldn't have that monetary investment you would you know what I mean you wouldn't have that so I think League One is a little bit higher than Championship and then Championship obviously above League Two and then League Two is above League One and then it just goes you know <laughs> and then and then and then I said these MLS next Pro and all that kind of stuff with the national leagues over there is probably even equivalent. Yeah, no, and and then I get I guess to a certain part of that that League One that your that English League One team making that big transfer is also in part to them taking a gamble on on moving up, which that exactly. that incentive doesn't sit, fit here in the United States unless that exactly. investment doesn't happen. Exactly. So if you if you have to if you really say all right if I could if my investor I go to my owner and say hey listen. If you spend this 500K right now, you can get the 60 million that you get from removing <laughs> up. It's a whole different, you know what I mean? Like it changes everything. Like you, there's, there's gotta be a reason why you're spending that, but you don't have to spend that kind of money to win in League One or in US or Championship. It's shown, right? We've seen two teams win before. We've seen, you know, like, yeah, like I said, Real Monarch win before. We've seen like Louisville always had a great you know, budget, but like, they're not spending that kind of money to win. San Antonio is have a great budget, but they're not spending that kind of money to win. They're not making so you don't need to. I can't imagine the Orange County budget was that big two years ago. Exactly, exactly. And look at League One, Tormenta won it, and they they were definitely not nowhere close to that top, like you know, of the, of, the, of, the, of the thing. So as long as you you can compete without spending money, people gotta figure out how to do it, to keep doing it, you know. So, Dennis, this was uh, this was awesome. I, I appreciate uh, the thoughts, the insight. Gave me a couple things to think about. Where uh, where can I, where can people find you? Where where uh, what do you need to plug promote? Tell everyone <laughs> where to find you. Uh, I mean, uh, right now, obviously, I just you know we we you can find me on my Twitter at d c h i. NNY15, DJD15. And also, uh, the agency is at Chin Sports, uh, at Chin Sports or ChinSports.com, which is C H Y N Sports.com. And uh, that's where you guys can see. But mainly, um, mainly I just like, I just, I'm just glad to see the support in the league and the players. And I feel like everyone wins when that passion is high and everything. Um, I feel like. The good thing about agencies that we don't really need all that extra hype and everything compared to promotion. We just you can kind of go behind the scenes and just get things done. Uh, um, so that's a good part. But no, I, I I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, you 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 reaching out for for to speak. Um, I, I'm always open to to answer these kind of questions. I feel like the more knowledgeable people are about really what's going on, it it, it it's. It's a lot better for you know the education of the country as a whole and how the processes and everything and it builds you know trust and and you know it, it, it makes people actually realize that the the process is not as simple as it as it may come across. So I'm, I'm always open for that. 
Many thanks to Dennis for his time with that interview. Fantastic uh, bit of information and insight there from him. All those ways of, of getting in touch with Dennis, we will put in the show notes that he just rattled off there. Uh, with that said, I'd like to get your feedback uh, on this interview and just doing interviews in general. So feel free to get in touch with me uh, on all of my ways of being contacted and as well as the Steel Army email address, which again is pghsteelarmy at gmail.com. With that said, we'll be back with a more traditional episode next time. But we'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network for providing the online hosting of Houndsy. Check out the wealth of soccer content being produced weekly at bgn.fm. The Houndsy theme music was composed and performed by Rocketman and the Space Babies. Check them out at facebook.com slash spacebabiespgh. The show is produced by Joe Majorak. Email the show just like I mentioned at pghstewarmy at gmail.com and put podcasts in the subject line. All complaints about the show can be sent to nick.noble at mail.wvu.edu. With many thanks to Dennis Chin, I am Dan Yost. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.